And good morning. Good morning. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here at City Church. And uh, just echoing all of the greetings and welcomes that you've received already, just want to say what a joy it is to uh, be with you and uh, see, obviously, many faces that I know, um, but a few that I don't, and so grateful um, that we're able to worship together this morning. I know I'm catching a few of you off guard. I don't always wear a tie. Um, this is what I call game day fit, um, and, uh, and so just know we're ready, um, and uh, I, I talked about, we, we, we began Acts chapter 12, where we're going to pick up here this morning, if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, and um, the key verse from last week's message, beginning the first 11 verses of 12, was verse 5, um, which said that Peter went to prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, this earnest prayer of the church, and that 12 uh, verse 5 is important. I um, have shared with the other church, uh, the other uh, uh, um, Hours of our worship. What do we call those? Services. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm going to figure this out here in just a minute. These other services, that 12 and 5, I think it's going to be very uh, uh, appropriate uh, numbers in the months ahead. Um, but uh, anyhow, uh, let us get to things that are much more important. God's word. And um, as I said, Acts chapter 12, for those of you that haven't been with us, if you're a guest with us, it's our practice here at City Church, we will just work our way most of the time through books of the Bible. Um, and so where I ended verse 11 last week, we'll pick up in verse 12. And so um, that's how we will follow along. And so you can know that next week, if you uh, come back, um, we will be in Acts chapter 13, because I, God willing, I'll make it all the way through Acts chapter 12 uh, this morning. But um, as we looked at Acts chapter 12 last week, we saw in verse in chapter 11, um, the focus of chapter 11 was the church in Antioch, and this is a, a significant uh, moment. It was the first uh, church, the first city, where the church was known as Christians, where outsiders referred to those people that worship Jesus as Christians. They called them that for the very first time by Jesus' name. And so we still today call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves after Jesus' name um, and following that. Well, in chapter 12, the beginning of 12, the scene, Luke kind of turns to the work of the church and what's been happening back in Jerusalem. And and this whole story, all of the book of Acts, is a reminder to us, it's a teacher, a history lesson, and an encouragement to us of what God is doing in establishing his church here in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit at work in, uh, that, that is building his church through this book that we're studying in the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit that's at work today. And so as we look backwards, we're also encouraged as we look forwards, I hope, that we see God at work. And so we've seen all of these circumstances. I'm even going to pick up on that a little bit later in our text, that all of these things that we see God doing um, should encourage us and should give us hope. Well, Acts chapter 12, as it, the scene returns to Jerusalem, back in Jerusalem, whereas in Antioch things seem to be going somewhat well, things are, they're, they're referred to as Christians, which tells us they had a testimony and there was good things happening through the church. In 12, back in Jerusalem, there is persecution coming. Herod is persecuting the church. He is killing Christians. Uh, we see that testimony of James was killed. And uh, when, when he killed James, Herod, who is the Roman ruler, found that the Jewish leaders, those Jewish rulers of the territory, they were um, happy about James, the apostle, the Christian James being killed. And so Herod, because he's sort of caught between appeasing Rome and appeasing Caesar and ensuring that he keeps this territory um, just sort of living peaceably and not a lot of uproars, not a lot of military money having to be invested in this. And so he says, hey, I'm, I, I want to keep the peace. Well, then he, when he finds that he kills James and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people of the day are happy about that, he says, well, I'll just keep doing this. This is kind of make working out for me. I keep Caesar happy. The Jewish people happy. And so he arrested Peter. 
The time frame that he was able to arrest Peter was during the Caesar, the celebration of Passover, and because this was a religious uh, time, they could not immediately put Peter to death. I say all of that to say God's providence was clearly at work, that Peter was arrested during Passover when he couldn't be killed immediately, so he's thrown into prison, and then the church, as I said in verse 5, began to pray. We know that some of them more than likely prayed for Peter's release. As I'll get to in a moment, they probably weren't all praying for that, but at least some were, and God delivered on that. And so Peter found himself being released from the chains, released from the guards that he was sleeping in between, the four squadrons of guards that guarded the prison and held him. They were not startled by his awaking. He was able to walk out of the prison just completely free, a miraculous deliverance of God, and even so much of a miracle that Peter himself thought he must just be dreaming. This couldn't be real. And so as we see this story unfold, and we're going to pick up in the story when Peter has sort of awakened to himself and what he does and his actions carrying forward, we're going to see God receiving, again, the right glory that he deserves. We started this last week and I said that we're going to see this contrast between the power of man and the glory of God, the power of Herod, the power of these other rulers. Uh, in contrast to or competing against the glory of God. Well, as we continue this, we're going to see God glorified in Peter's heart. We're going to see God glorified in the church. We're even going to see God glorified in Herod's death. And ultimately, what we're hope, I hope, my prayer for us all, is that we would realize that God is glorified even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hard circumstances that we so often face in this broken world. And so, If you're able, would you please stand out of reverence for God's word as I read from Acts chapter 12. We'll pick up our story in verse 12 through verse 19. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You were out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Lord Jesus, we once again thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name, to gather to bring glory to your name, to gather um, to study your word, which was given to us, to strengthen us, to shape us, to help us to see who you are. So we pray as we study your word, would you do what only you can do? Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts? Um, Would you reveal your truth to us? Um, Would you do what you intend to do with it? Father, I pray for my friends in this room who are far from you this morning. They're here on the invitation of a friend or a family member. They're not sure about who you are. Um, As we study your word, as they hear your word proclaimed, would you tear down walls that might exist around their heart and reveal your amazing grace and your love to them, a love that I am so thankful for. Thank you for um, the fact that I know that grace in my own life, and I pray that every soul here would know that grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
So as we left Peter, back in verse 11, it says that he came to himself, and now he says, again, to himself, he's sort of re- just acknowledging the reality of what has happened. He's been released from prison. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The key phrase there is, now I am sure that the Lord did this. I am confident that I was put in prison and now have been released from prison because the Lord intended that that would be so. And so we learn from the very beginning of this story is that Peter, that God is glorified in Peter's heart through the suffering that he endured, through the challenge of being thrown into prison, through the heartache. And just you can imagine the grief that he experienced as his dear friend James was beheaded. Peter understands what God is doing, that God is up to something and he is glorified through that. This wasn't just a vision or a dream. This wasn't something that he had just, you know, kind of was thinking about, you know, of his own mind. This was reality. His life had been changed, had been impacted, had been ultimately touched and transformed in a way because of or through this experience. So many of us have stories that we look back upon and we see God at work and we think about those things in our past. Well, if we think about them simply, those events in our past, and we don't allow them to impact our future, we miss some of the work that God is doing. Some of you have been through our City Church 101 class in recent months where we, we have them during this hour now. A few of you, as Brandon said, the OGs in the room. We used to do 101 at another time. Well, now that we do it during our 11 o'clock hour, you've heard me say that uh, I, I go downstairs and begin our service downstairs and I gotta run up here in time to be able to preach this service. And so I have a really short window of time to tell some of the history of our church in that class. And so I try to tell briefly a little bit of the story of the life of our church. And I, every time I have that... I I speak, some of you heard me say this, I wish I could tell you more of some of these stories because there's so much to tell of awesome things that God has done throughout the life of this church that I look back on and they propel me forward in ministry. I go back to a story from many years ago from the very beginning when God began to really pull on my heart. I was wrestling with this calling to ministry to do what we do now, what I am able to do now. And it began with an invitation from a friend to go on a mission trip with him to, of all places, Cuba. I was um, uh, just sort of pressing into um, some of the gifting of teaching and loving teaching the Bible and loving some of those opportunities. And a friend of mine said, hey, you need to come with me. We're going to go down to Cuba. We're going to encourage some of the Christian brothers and sisters there in the church. We're going to go door to door and share the gospel um, and hopefully strengthen the church in Cuba. Um, This is, again, long ago, and at that time, this was very much a situation where that country, Americans didn't travel to Cuba. I know it's still limited even today, but we didn't go to Cuba. Um, We had to get special visas to allow us to get into the country. There was a lot of work that happened. Well, as we prepared for this trip, we got all ready. I was, of course, very excited. It's my my very first time to travel internationally um, to take the gospel or to do anything related to the work of God. And so um, I uh, traveled. We get on the plane, and we land in Cuba. And as part of our preparation, one of the things that we found out was that uh, a way that we could strengthen the church there was to provide the church with many resources that they had zero access to. So we brought them Bibles. We brought them medications that, again, in the country, the the government kind of holds the medications. And so the people don't usually get them, but the church is able, as we were to bring them medicines, they could distribute. The pastors and the church family could distribute medications. And there was all sorts of resources that we brought with us um, to bless the people and bless the church. Well, um, 
I put all of my clothes for this trip, we were kind of instructed to do this, all my, all my personal belongings went in a backpack that I carried with me, and I had the largest suitcase you could ever imagine, and I carried that, each of us had a few of these suitcases, and my entire suitcase was filled with what the country would deem as contraband, illegal materials to be brought into the country. So we arrive and we are beginning to go through the, 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 the process of customs. I get my passport stamped and I'm thinking, okay, things are going well. They didn't ask me many questions. Got my passport stamped, didn't have much trouble. We walk in and we're in this large space. It's about the size of this room probably, an open air space. There's just some metal tables and on those metal tables, and behind them at least, there's a long line of people and every single bag is being inspected by the military that is there at the airport. And so I began to think to myself, well, maybe I spoke too soon. I'm not sure things are going that well. I have everything in my bag as illegal to have in this country. I happen to be front first in line. I also happen to be a former member of the U.S. military, so I'm not sure how things could go, but I'm thinking things are about to go sideways as I make my way up to this in a country that does not really like that I'm there and especially won't appreciate my purpose for being there when I've told them it's another purpose. So all that to say, I've get my suitcase and I'm front first in line and we open or we, we, we make our way through and I get very, very close to the front of the line. I was the next person to go, literally the next person. He's zipping up the bag of the person that's directly in front of me. And across the room, there's a door. It's about the same distance to our storage room door behind me or on the other side of our sanctuary here. Out walks a gentleman from that door and I could immediately tell that it was an officer And there wasn't any words spoken, but when the officer walked out of the door, the gentleman that was looking at our bags looked over to him, and there was some sort of telepathic understanding of uh, work of the Lord in that moment. And so he comes around me to, to, to address me, and he says, okay, take your bags. How many people are with you? And I'm like, all of these people. And he says, okay, you're going to come with me. And I'm thinking, we're going to a small room, and it's not going to be pretty. I was very anxious in the moment. He takes us, I follow him, he walks us outside of the big open air space and says, that's your bus, go get on that bus. And not one of our bags was looked at or inspected and we went about the work that God had given us to do that week. I was a young man, much younger than I am today. I was very excited to be on this trip and to be engaged in the work that God had given us. You can imagine my zealousness as I went around town sharing the gospel of Christ. I said to myself, they can't arrest us. That's already been proven. I saw that back at the airport. My God will not allow us to get do anything. And so I was probably a little bit troublesome with the rest of our group because they were thinking, he's pushing the envelope here. Uh, maybe we should be a little quieter. But anyhow, that testimony, I share that with you because I remember that. And to this day, when I am faced with challenging circumstances, especially related to my ministry and sharing the gospel and encouraging others and pressing into some of the hardships that we face and challenges that come our way, I remember that. And I remember that God was with us. I knew my heart, I knew what he had called us to do convictionally, and in the same way as we have led and built, done all the work that this church does, I have just had clear convictions that God is with us and we are good, and he will sustain us through hardship, though, through suffering, through pain, through circumstances where I am feel, filled with fear. Do not let the boisterousness of my voice. Or some of my personality traits to overwhelm or come and make you believe that I am not very often filled with anxiety and fear. I can't even say that word right. See, there you go. Filled. Filled with anxiety and fear and worry about what might be coming. 
but I know I have a confidence in the Lord. Well, Peter had experienced this release from prison in such a powerful way. Sleeping between two guards, the chains fell off his hands. An angel of the Lord awoke him. He surely understood in this moment that God was doing something. And as this great work of God was done, God was glorified in Peter's heart. See, as God is glorified in our hearts, the circumstances of life become smaller. That's why we sometimes sing that song, right? Let these little things become little, less small things. This world sometimes overwhelms us, and I understand many of you walked in here perhaps overwhelmed with whatever you might be facing this afternoon, in this moment, tomorrow. But remember God's glory, and remember the things that he has done in your past as you've seen him redeem you and raise you to life, as you've seen him use you in powerful ways in your various ministry that you have engaged in. And remember that God is with you. Let that glory that he has shown you propel you forward. Well, God wasn't just glorified in Peter's heart through this. As I picked up in the story in verse 12, God is also glorified in the church's heart through this work of God in Peter's life. When Peter realized this, it says in verse 12, he went to the house of Mary. Mary's house was probably a large house. She was more than likely a wealthy member of the church, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And so that's why he knew that the church would more than likely be gathered there. And they would probably be worshiping, be in prayer, be doing what the church was, had uh, been instructed to do. And so he goes to that house. And it says in verse 13, he knocked on the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love the honesty of God's word. I love that I can see this little girl in my own mind's eye. I can sort of see her excitement as she sees or hears Peter's voice knocking at the gate and she runs in. She forgets to open the door altogether and she's so excited. She runs in to tell her mom and dad, her aunts and uncles, the reality is more than likely these, this young girl, Rhoda, also her name translated would mean Rose, uh, this young girl, she had heard the prayers of her mom and dad, her aunts and uncles, her brothers and sisters in the faith. She had heard them praying. She would experienced them praying, as it said in verse 5. And then she sees, or excuse me, I keep saying see, she only hears Peter's voice. She hears his voice, and she recognizes that, and she says, that's Uncle Peter. That's, that's our brother. He was in jail. God has heard our prayers. In, in her childlike faith, she believes and has complete confidence that Peter has been released from prison. She doesn't know how. She doesn't know why. She simply knows that he has been delivered. And the prayers of at least some of her friends and family members have been answered. Now, I say some because we also get a little bit of a clearer picture on the specific prayers that the church might have been praying because she recognizes Peter's voice and she runs in and tells them that Peter's at the gate, forgets to open the door. And what do they say to her? You're out of your mind. There's no way that Peter is at the gate. We saw him arrested. We know Herod's squadrons that guard these prisons. We know the reality. They have not just seen James beheaded. More than likely, they've seen many of their Christian brothers and sisters put to death, arrested, and they've seen their fate. There is no way that Peter is really standing at the gate. What this illuminates for us is more than likely, yes, there were probably some that were praying for Peter's release from prison, 
But there were probably many others that were praying a lot smaller prayers. Praying simply that Peter wouldn't suffer much in his death, knowing that he was going to die. There's no other way that anything else is going to happen in this world. If he's been arrested by Herod, death always precedes that. He's going to die. Or perhaps praying that Peter might be able to witness to some of his guards and share the gospel and the hope of Jesus with some of those who had imprisoned him and praying that maybe some of them would be redeemed, would be raised to life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, not inconsequential, not unimportant, not worthwhile prayers, but they didn't pray that Peter would be released. And if they did pray that Peter would be released from prison, those that few that did, they didn't really believe that God was able to do that. They doubted. They had little faith. So often, I find when we face these hard circumstances of life, and yes, we'll pray, but don't we pray safe prayers? Prayers that seem Like, yeah, I think God is able to do that because in our mind, we kind of decide what we think God is able to do. And so we pray a small prayer. We pray a lesser prayer. We pray like they might have prayed, yeah, that Peter, may he not suffer much in this life. We know he's going to die, but may he just not suffer. They would never know, honestly, if that prayer was answered. They probably wouldn't know if they prayed for the salvation of some soldiers. Again, they might know or hear a little bit about that, that more than likely they wouldn't know if God answered that prayer or not. They limited their prayers to the level of their belief, what they thought God could do. And God uses Peter and uses this suffering that Peter was enduring, yes, being thrown in prison and all that he did and then releasing him to remind the church of his power, that he is able to do more than we could ever imagine. He is the God of the universe. He has great power. As I think about this story, I think about my own life, and I have fallen prey to this often. So many of you know that my mother passed away a few years ago, about five years ago, and I remember those last days of her life, last few months of her life when she was really sick, and I would pray and I'd ask God to heal her. But if I'm just completely transparent with you, I didn't believe that he could. I'd see her and I'd think, I would tell my wife, tried to guard it from my kids, but I just don't think she can make it. It's not possible for him to heal her in that way. I doubted. Because I couldn't see in my finite earthly eyes and mind how that would be possible. The circumstances dictated that people don't get well from this. And so I prayed small, safe prayers. There's been other times in my life, I'm sure you have experienced similar things, where something felt so hopeless, felt so that's not possible. God can't do that. That you've sort of shrunk back a little bit and said, I'm not so sure. Let me pray something that I think God might be able to do. I'm not going to pray for that marriage situation, my marriage, 
my friend's marriage because I'm not really sure that God can do that. I'm not going to pray for my neighbor, my loved one, my family member who is so far from God and so anti-gospel and won't ever hear anything from me. I just, I just don't want to pray for them because I'm really not sure God could actually deliver on that promise. I'm not going to pray for this or that because I don't believe. I'm not sure. I would encourage you. My hope for us as a church is that we would pray big prayers. We would pray prayers that we can't even imagine how it's possible that God would answer, but that we would pray them boldly with confidence and with hope and with faith that God will answer perfectly whatever it is our hearts desire. James 4, 2 says, we have not because we ask not. Most of the time in my life, I ask not because I've already decided what I think God is able to do. I preached a sermon two weeks ago on John chapter 15 where Jesus says that if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And as I expounded upon that, no, that's not Jesus saying to us, I'm the cosmic genie, I'll just give you all of your wishes. What he's saying is if you abide in me, if you are confident in your relationship with me, if you know me and we have a closeness, whatever circumstances, whatever you ask for, One, your heart will be more attuned to what I would desire in this world. But even more than that, even deeper than that, however I answer that prayer, you will be okay because you'll be satisfied with me. If you abide in me, ask and then trust that whatever I deliver in answer to your request is my perfect will for your life. I think about those prayers that I prayed even sometimes timidly asking God, would you heal her? Not sure if I even believed that he was able to do that. Here's my testimony on the other side of that story. No, my mom is not here with me today. My kids are absent on grandparents' day, a grandmother that I wish they had with them. But I know where she is. I know who she's with. And I know that I will one day join her. And I know that she is perfectly healed Not on this side of heaven, but she is perfectly healed. She has no pain and suffering. And you know what else God has done? He just gave this to me this summer. God has shown me how the testimony of her life has impacted more and more people. I took my oldest son with me on a trip to Malawi this summer. We told you about that trip where we went to encourage pastors and other people in the world. And I heard my oldest son share the testimony of his life with young men in some of the villages that we visited. And over and over and over again, he said the turning point for his life was when he lost his grandmother. And then he heard the stories of her life being told by so many people and of her faith and her love and her passion for life. And he says, I've just kind of been getting by with Jesus. I've just kind of been living because it's easy. I'm a pastor's son. I live in a Christian community. Life pretty much has always been right for me. I've never had any suffering, really not many pain. And he said, but when I lost my grandma, I realized what life was all about. And I said, I want to live a life like her. God used her death to glorify himself in my son's life. And I know, and I can testify today that his life and his ministry and the work that he engages in has been changed even through the painful circumstances of losing his grandma. And my life has been blessed by that. The church didn't believe that Peter could have been released from prison. There's no way that that could have happened. And God released him from prison in one way to remind the church of his amazing power. God was glorified in the church's lives as they saw him deliver Peter. And you can imagine 
this church and Peter himself after experiencing this? Can you imagine the passion that they had? Can you imagine the zeal? They've seen God release Peter from prison. They've seen this miraculous work take place. You know, as I read this text this week and see Peter there standing at the door again, he's knocking and the little girl <laughs> recognizes him, but they don't let him in. They claim he's an angel. Oh yeah, Peter's already dead. It's just his spirits come to visit us. I was reminded of Jesus's words to the church in Revelation chapter three. Jesus says to the church, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Some of you have heard that verse before in your life and perhaps some of you have been taught, I'll just say wrongly, that that is about an individual relationship with Jesus. In the context of the scripture, this is written to the churches. This is part of Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. And this letter in uh, Revelation chapter 3 is to the church at Laodicea. This was to a gathering of Christians, not an individual Christian, but a, a church that Jesus warned them in the previous verses. What he warned them or cautioned them against was that they had removed him from being the authority that he is. They were living life as a church without Jesus really all that involved. They sort of put him outside the church. And they were doing what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it. And he warns them. And he says, you're doing it wrong. And you're going to lose. But then in verse 20, he says to them, but I stand right outside your church door. I stand at those glass doors and I knock and I say, if you let me in back into your church to be the rightful head and authority of your church... Guess what? I'll welcome you to my table. He says, I'll have a meal with you. I'll come in and eat with you. And that symbolism of having a meal in the Jewish culture was we will be family. We will be one. Even when the church had put God outside of the church, the Lord was not ruling over their trust in him, their confidence in him. He says, if you would simply open the door and let me back in, we will have perfect relationship with one another. We will be a family once again. So often we don't pray, we don't seek these big things of God, we don't trust him, we don't have the faith to believe because we've kind of put Jesus a little bit on the outside of our lives, right? We've, we're trying to do our own thing. We're trying to live our lives in our own way. Yes, mixing Jesus in where we can, but he is not ruling as Lord over our lives. And what happens to the church when Peter's standing at the door and they don't believe that he's out there? They don't really believe that Jesus has that power. We too can push Jesus to the outsides of our lives, to the edges of our life, and we miss the power of him at work. God is glorified in the church's heart through this testimony and through the, his work of releasing Peter. Well, as we pick up in the story, coming to verse 20 is where I left off in our reading. Herod, it turns back to Herod, and we see that God is going to be glorified even through Herod's death. Some time had taken place after Herod had put these uh, uh, jailers and his soldiers to death for losing track of Peter. He gets angry, and we don't know exactly how long. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what the time gap is, but it's at least more than likely a few months, if not maybe even a year later, 
Luke turns to Herod becoming angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. This was two coastal cities, and these coastal cities, they relied on Herod's other sort of uh, territories to provide food for them. As a coastal city, they didn't have the farmlands and all that they needed, and these were very large cities and uh, metropolises. They were trading ports, and because of all of the people that resided there, they relied on these other territories, these inland communities, these inland territories of Herod to provide them food. Well, for whatever reason, Herod had gotten angry with them, and he sort to cut off relationships. He had just ended the treaty that he had with these cities in providing them food. And it says that he had become angry with them. And so they decide, let us go to Herod and let's try to make peace with him. And this is where Luke gives us the full circle of Herod's life. See, Herod, again, thought of himself as God. He saw himself as ruling over his own life, having complete authority over his own life. So much so that as the people come to him from Tyre and Sidon, they plead and they make this, they, they get the king's chamberlain, it says, his chief of staff to come and help them negotiate a peace treaty with Herod. He gives them a speech. Look at verse 21. And on the, the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered, delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not a man. More than likely, historians believe that this was either a celebration of the anniversary of Caesarea, the name or the town named after Caesar, sort of opening its gates and becoming a city, or it could have been Caesar's birthday that was being celebrated. For whatever reason, it was a massive celebration of the Roman ruler. So he puts on his Roman ruler, his kingly authority, the robe that marks him as that's a king. He puts on his, his crown, he goes and sits on his throne, and then he speaks whatever he spoke. His words weren't recorded. But the people shout of Tyre and Sidon thinking, hey, we need to make sure he loves us. That's the voice of God. That's not a man. That's not a mortal. And look at verse 23. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. He did not give God the glory that he deserved. He tried to make himself out to be God. He received the adulation of human beings saying, that's a God, that's not man. We worship a God who sometimes referred to in scripture as a jealous God. He will not share his glory with us. He doesn't need to share his glory with us. He should not share his glory with us. We are not worthy of his glory. He alone, as we sang, is the one who is worthy to be hailed as king. And God won't share that. And so even through Herod's death, as he puts Herod to death, he reminds God's people of who he is and his glory. What can we learn from all of this? We see this amazing story, and it seems like we could cast it off as one of God's apostles redeemed or released from prison to continue doing ministry, and we kind of think of it in some small way. What I hope this teaches us is that in the face of suffering, God is glorified. I want you once again to remember the circumstances. This church is not just experiencing James and Peter, James beheaded, Peter thrown in prison, but persecution and murder, and harm all over the place. As Peter is thrown in prison, you can imagine the grief that the church is experiencing and the pain and the, just the, the hardship that they're facing. And they're pleading with God to do whatever, again, whatever their prayers were, they were dealing with some hard circumstances. Many of you, I expect, came in this morning facing challenging circumstances. 
Look at verse 24. Through all these circumstances, the summary of this story is, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Through this church's and these people's suffering, God was glorified. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 9, at the end of all of these sort of stories that we've been studying, at the end of each passage, you see that same language used by Luke. Telling the church, through all of these circumstances, whatever they were, God was glorified. The church multiplied. The church was strengthened through all of this. And so once again, we kind of come to the end of this passage or the end of this story. And God tells us that he was glorified, that the church increased. God uses your suffering, friends. He doesn't waste your sufferings. The pain, the challenges that you are facing that are very real, those burdens that you are carrying with you even today. As one man once said, he does not waste your tears. We see the suffering of the church used to remind the church of who is worthy of praise and remind the church of who is sovereign over all of those things. And so let me remind you of some of the promises of God that he's given to us that tell us that yes, there is surely and there will be suffering in this world. But as we suffer, we can have hope knowing that in the midst of that suffering, God is using that to glorify himself as he leads you through that. I shared the testimony again of my son, even through the death of his grandmother, how that blessed me and has blessed him. First Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, that's gonna happen. He says, don't say if you will or when you, it's, 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 and after you have. You will suffer for a little while. The grace of God who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered, Christ is going to fix it. (laughs) He's going to restore you. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, the suffering that you're walking through right now, God would say to you, it's not worth comparing to the glory that you will one day see. Glory that is surely yours through Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, when we rightly see our suffering, not as the world sees it where God must be displeased with us, God is trying to correct us, God is doing something to us, but when we see that, yes, he is sovereign over that suffering, he's aware of that suffering, but he's going to use that to glorify himself as he leads you through that and sustains you through it, then we understand how God can use suffering in our lives to glorify himself. Sometimes I'm in the midst of the trial. I just will simply ask God, could you just deliver me out of this trial? I just kind of don't want to be here anymore. I'm here. I'm facing this. It's painful. I don't understand the circumstances. I don't understand exactly what's happening here. I would just really be happy if you could just sort of teleport me, just move me away, put me in a different place where that's no longer the situation of my life. What God has taught me and I want to encourage you to do is don't just simply pray and ask God to deliver you from the circumstances or deliver you through the circumstances, but would you begin to pray, God, teach me how you are using this momentary affliction to bring more glory to yourself in my life. 
Perhaps it's through your strength in Christ that the world sees us living life differently with more hope in the face of really challenging circumstances. And he's glorifying himself through us to a world that is sort of not sure about our God, is unaware of who he is. Or perhaps he is going to glorify himself as he leads you through that and you find strength in him and you find him dependable. You've questioned God. You've not been sure if he's there. You're not sure if he can carry, if he can hold you up as he leads you through that suffering and he leads you through the painful circumstances of life and you see that he is worthy of that and he is strong and he's able to carry you, then even in your own hearts, you will glorify God. You'll say thank you. And you will have a testimony that the next time you face a similar circumstance or the next time you have a friend who has a circumstance which is like yours, you'll be able to say, I've been through that brother or sister. I've seen our God be able to sustain me through that pain. I've seen our God be able to sustain me through the suffering. I've seen our God sustain me and lead me through that trial that I know you're walking in right now. And can I just be an encouragement to you that he's able to do it? And God will be glorified through your suffering. We don't need to think of suffering as something we just need to get through. We need to ask God, what are you intending to do in the midst of our suffering and through our suffering? When we do that, He'll receive the glory that he deserves on the earth, in our own hearts, and in the world around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray this morning. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, specifically those who I know are walking through a trial, who are here this morning in pain whether it be spiritually, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally, they're just coming in looking for some help and for some relief. Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would be a balm to our souls, would be a means of you bringing healing. Would, it, would you help us in the midst of those circumstances? to see how you are sustaining us. And I do pray. I pray for those brothers and sisters that they would be able to say, yes, this hurts. But I know that this light, momentary affliction won't compare to the glory that I will one day experience when I'm with Christ forever. Father, would you help each and every one of us to trust you in the midst of suffering? And Lord, as you deliver us through, miraculously through the circumstances of life, help us to be more like our little sister, that young Rhoda, who believed with full faith that you had delivered Peter as you deliver us through, let us just have complete comfort. That was my God who did that. Let us tell the world of what you have done. Protect us. Forgive us when we do it. Guard our hearts, though, Lord, from being people who say, nah, I'm not sure that God could really do that. Forgive me for so often doing that in my own life, Lord. I pray that the testimonies of so many in this room, so many in this church, as we share those testimonies, as we encourage one another, that those testimonies would be a reminder that you are able to do unbelievable things, things that we could never imagine. And so I pray that you would do those things, that we would pray for those things. We'd ask you 
that we would be satisfied simply by having a relationship with you, Jesus. Would you do all these things in our hearts today, Lord? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.